0: question. How much do you think I could really impact the NASDAQ with a single sentence? Could I tank the Dow Jones or the S&P 500 with some offhand comment? Pull a Marty McFly and drop in sports almanacs left and right? Can I make you rich? That's an interesting thought. Well, I guess we'll find out. So, first a little background for you. And to clarify, when I say you, I'm talking to you. I'll refer to Brendan as Brendan from here on out. Kinda like this. Hey Brendan, sorry about the precious family memories I'm recording over again. I would feel less bad if they weren't also mine. Right now, I'm sitting in a motel room about 15 miles outside of the city. There's a wired phone mounted on the wall next to the bed. On the far wall there's a stain, a patch of brown on yellow wallpaper in the shape of an old clock. It looks wet to the touch. A 2x4 has been nailed into the middle of the stain to make a shelf, and on that shelf is a digital alarm clock. Even the digital alarm clock looks like it's 30 years old. There's a sign in the lobby that says Free Collar TV. To explain why I'm here, you'll need to understand a little piece of technology that's developed over the last 10 years. So get out your notepad and keep your broker on the line. Okay. There is a woman who goes by Baron Odvik, which is not her given name. She's an inventor of sorts. The pseudonym helped her climb in the research community because the name gave her a sense of, what's the word? Ah, maleness. Anyway, Odvik was on the team way back when that invented the key fob. You know that little black plastic key that you can hold up to a door and unlocks it using a radio frequency or something? Whatever. That was that was her work. So she's got this decent invention that lets you unlock things based on proximity and wirelessly it can identify you, send your credentials to some server, give you access to certain rooms, not to others, etc. This thing should be selling to every college campus, office lot, apartment complex, any public space with private rooms. As you know, it doesn't exactly take the world by storm. So thinking that it's a marketing problem, she pivots, focusing on the identification aspect of the key fob. She starts working with this colorless, odorless polymer solution. And she's like dipping mugs and pencils and even live mushrooms into this solution, and they all remain permanently coated. And why is this polymer special? Because it can be designed to have a unique magnetic signature. So now, the permanently coated, polymer-dipped mushroom has a magnetic field that can be read and identified by a scanner, like an invisible barcode. Oddvik starts putting this thing under the eyes of big retailers and supermarkets, pitching it as a way to catalog their products to track them, prevent theft. But again, she's missed huge on the marketing front. No grocer wants to sell food that's been dipped in magnet liquid. At a loss, she sells the patent to a security company called Lucas Grid, and in a terrible twist of irony, they use it to sell key fobs. But this time it works. They launch a campaign showing people using their lucky charms to automatically open doors and cars. They say you can make anything a key, dip it in their magic liquid, and then boom, any any knick-knack, any sentimental treasure can be useful, can unlock the world. raising their wedding bands to the door of their new house, and the door clicking open. They called them fobs, and they sold whole warehouses of the polymer. The home securities industry ate it up, and then it grew into so much more. Soon everyone had a fob. I mean, people would carry their key with pride, and at all times they became almost like emblems. Because your fob's magnetic field was unique, it became a dimension of your identity. Companies fell over themselves to partner with Locust Grid, computers that unlocked with your FOB, lights that turned on when you walked into the room with your FOB, the FOB as a credit card. Finally, even the federal government couldn't resist. They tied your FOB's magnetic signature to your social security number and let you use it as identification. So, I have a FOB, of course. I actually just dipped an old key of mine, which is (laughs) pretty boring. As far as fobs go, I tried to keep it simple. It's a key to an old bike lock, if that makes it any more interesting. And I need this thing to access everything. So when I heard that name on the tape... It wasn't yours, by the way. The name on the tape, I'd never heard it before. When I heard that name, my plan was to turn to Gia to see if I could find anything. But I very quickly ruled that out. Like I said, I use my FOB to access everything, so doesn't everyone. If I search something online, it's pretty inherently linked to my ID. So what's a person to do? Well, at the risk of sounding like an after-school special, what you do is go to the library. And then what you do is realize that public records are not kept in the library. And then you realize that you can't even request a public record for sh- I am going to keep the name private. You can't request a public record because requesting it would send up more red flags in an online search. So what I actually did was... I went to every cemetery in the city. What's a cemetery, if not a history of names. Yeah. I spent my day scanning rows of tombstones for that name a name I had never heard before, looking for something that I might not even recognize, like a family or a favorite quote. I started on the North Shore, I took the 30, 34, 31 down south, grabbed the 15, going to FIDI. Oh, while we're smashing Tech Futures, let me tell you a little something about public transportation. For one, ride sharing services have yet to make it obsolete, but they are certainly still around and they all use autonomous vehicles, which is what you'd expect. But guess what else is autonomous? the bus they don't have drivers anymore they're way faster and they feel like a little bit more sort of like trains i think that's because they're longer and sections of the bus bend when you round a corner or actually probably because the bus has sections at all that are sort of like train cars and that can split off and connect to other bus lines you can sit at the head of the bus in the first section and you can ride the entire route as normal, or you can sit in one of these sections of the bus that has your transfer number displayed in the wall, and when your transfer comes up, that section of the bus just detaches and then reattaches to a bus traveling on the new line. You don't even have to get up. So now when people talk about their commute, they just start smushing numbers together. When I'm not driving, I take the 4042 into work, etc. Because they can just hop in the 40, sit in the 42 section, and automatically transfer as if it we were all one bus line. Now, this makes transferring pretty much seamless, which means that bus lines can afford a lot more stops, which means you get much closer to your final destination. And what that meant for me is that large groups of people watched me get off alone at stops right next to graveyards all day. I got a lot of undue condolences. I was carrying flowers with me the whole time because. I guess I thought a prop would make it more believable. I mean, no one would have questioned someone walking around a cemetery empty-handed, but uh, the flowers only made things worse. I decided to leave them on random graves. From the 28 to the 1915, transferring to the 4042, old faithful, that's something to mention. Almost everyone takes the 4042 at some point. Then snagging the three onto the 18. Okay, so it's not useful to go through my whole route but, um, to give you a sense of how long I was traveling on these buses, there was one woman who I crossed paths with three times. She actually watched me get off at two separate cemeteries, uh, and she wouldn't even let me pay as I was getting off a second time. She stopped me as I was leaving, literally putting her hand in front of my fob so I couldn't tag off. Let me get this for you, please. You're doing your part for the old and forgotten. Let the old and forgotten do something for you." She laughed meekly, but um, that just made my heart sink. Suffice to say, I was emotionally drained by the end of it all. The false sympathy was one thing, all the obligatory sad eyes and fake smiles, but but this, this real sympathy, uh, cut deep. And I never found the name. after visiting every cemetery. Not my finest plan. (sighs) But on my way home from the last cemetery, something happened. When I tried to tag onto the bus, my fob didn't work, it wouldn't read. I tried it three times. I actually had to use a backup password called a grid code, and that worked. Which is good to know, because I've never had to use mine before. For the rest of the ride, I stared out the window, thinking about what was up with the bus's reader, wondering if it was just too old or overused. And then I got home. And then I brought the fob up to my door. And then the monitor next to my door went red. The camera on the monitor clicked. And then the signal went out. When you fail the fob into your house for the first time, it immediately connects to the internet. It alerts the neighbors. It takes a picture that's sent to the owner's security logs. You have one more chance to get in, and then it calls the police. I didn't try the fob again. I punched in my code for the second time that day, and the second time ever. There was a feeling growing inside me. It was pressing tight against my chest. I didn't even realize that I was skipping every other step as I climbed the stairs. I got to my apartment and swung open the door. I ran for the security console in the kitchen. It beamed alive, and I started flicking through the logs, Ever since the shaving cream, ever since Joe Herrera moving away without a day's notice, ever since finding this recorder, I've been... careful. I'd up the security setting to have my camera take a picture whenever someone entered or exited the apartment. Not just on failed attempts. So in the logs there was a picture of me, blurry, frantically opening the door only seconds ago. But then... there was nothing. No picture of me leaving this morning. No evidence that I had got home last night. The logs had been cleared. I ran to my room, to my closet. I dug through shoes and suitcases and old backpacks. I dug until I found a tin box of memorabilia, stuff I hadn't touched in years. I threw open the lid and I raised up an old bike lock. I took my fob, my old bike key, and inserted it into the lock, except it didn't fit. I pushed harder, I spun it around the keyhole. It wouldn't fit. It wasn't the same key. That was two hours ago. I left my apartment and got a ride out of the city to a motel I'd remembered seeing once. One that just seemed so removed from everything. It stuck out in my mind because outside the lobby in big cinematic lettering was a sign that read free color TV. And now I'm here. I've uh, only brought this recorder, a few other things from home, and one more tape with me. Uh, And I've been having some trouble trying to go to sleep. So I thought I'd sit down and tell you all of this. I don't know. At a certain point, I was so desperate that I looked in the nightstand for something to read, uh, even a Bible, I mean, there wasn't a Bible in there. But there was a phone book. Maybe because this place still has um, you know, a phone wired to the wall. But unlike everything else in this room, the phone book was actually quite new. So I started leafing through it to a page that might have a certain name. And there it was, the name, right in the yellow pages and a phone number. I picked up the phone on the wall and dialed, but no answer. No voicemail. And that's where I am right now. Feeling pretty anxious, but knowing that I should sleep, and this tape has got to be almost out. What's weird is that the number in the phone book must be a cell phone number, Uh, because the area code is from the other side of the continent. 404 245 490 seven Four oh four two four five Four oh four two This isn't a phone number This is a bus line. Uh, I've gotta go